This is a Federal News Network podcast. Should Congress go ahead and pass legislation to spend one, two, five, or six trillion dollars, a giant burden will fall on the federal workforce like a sack of hay. Will the government have controls in place for these spending programs? Will it even have the basic capacity? For some expert thinking, we turn to Professor Bob Tobias of the Key Executive Leadership Program at American University. And Bob, these programs, these stimulus bills or these trillions would fall on eventually the federal bureaucracy to turn them into programs. What are the challenges you see with this level of spending? Well, Tom, it's it's huge. I mean, it's projected to be about $4.1 trillion, which is more than five times the amount of the bill that President Obama signed in 2009 to implement the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act. And I think, actually, the canary in the coal mine is seen with the recent Supreme Court ruling that said that delaying evictions can no longer occur. So in February, Congress allocated $21.6 billion for rent support and only a small part of it has been distributed. Here we are at the end of August. So it required a brand new program, coordination between federal, state, and local officials, and they haven't distributed the money and millions of people are going to be evicted. So I I think that's a premonition for what could occur with this $4.1 trillion, which has many new programs, expansion of existing programs, And if the agencies don't start planning now to create and distribute that money, we're going to have many more of what we see today. And there were a couple of different business loan programs under the first stimulus bill in the pandemic that President Trump signed into law. And some of those were forgiven, some were not. There's still some money unspent. But there are also instances of businesses that did not need the money that simply said, wow, here's a bonanza. Let me get my chunk of cash from the federal government, even though they weren't actually needy businesses in trouble. So another control, another fine point. I guess what you're saying then is that a lot more planning on the details has to occur so that these programs are fraud free and do yet at the same time have clear rules, clear regulations for both the bureaucracy and the recipients of the programs. Exactly, Tom. I think there are certainly the idea of putting a program together to make it work is number one. Number two, are we going to prevent corruption with the creation and the implementation of this program? And number three, are we going to achieve the goals and objectives that Congress has articulated that should occur? And with the amount of money that's involved here, those are very, very challenging goals to put together in a very short period of time. So I'm suggesting that planning should be starting now. That's right. Back in 2008, as you mentioned, the ARRA did come with a oversight mechanism, the RAT board, the Recovery and Accountability Transparency Board. And that was simultaneous with the going out of the money so that you could see the spending. There were maps and so forth of where the money was going, ostensibly for infrastructure. In this case of the latest couple of bills, it seems like the oversight and auditing functions are playing catch up a month, almost a year later than than the money was spent. That's correct. And so I, I, I would suggest that Congress, as it considers 
this package of $4.1 trillion, that it replicate what it did with the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act and create a board of governors that has the responsibility for avoiding corruption and for ensuring that congressional intent is achieved. And also, I think that the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act allocated funding for the board and additional funding for the inspector general. So they did a good job uh, with that act. And I, I hope Congress will do the same with this spending. We're speaking with Bob Tobias, professor in the key executive leadership program at American University. And the other question is, does the federal government, given the size that it is, the 2.1 or so million federal employees, does it have the basic human capacity and organizational capacity to take on this level of new programming in the first place? Well, I certainly don't believe there are enough federal employees on the rolls now to implement the programs that are envisioned by Congress. So obviously, hiring, training um, would come after the planning necessary to determine how many people are needed. But also, a recent GAO report pointed out that only 50%, about 50% of the program staff have the skills needed to collect, analyze, and use data necessary to determine whether programs are achieving their goal. And only 30% of agencies are investing in the technology necessary to gather the data. So this is another, I think, Achilles heel in the process You have to be able to evaluate the programs to determine whether or not congressional intent is being achieved, and data is the basis for that analysis. So the real danger here, then, is that the benefits from the programs could be somewhat ephemeral if all of these controls and and, uh, rules and regulations are not in place properly and the anti-corruption schemes that are needed, but the debt itself will be very real. Well, clearly. um, The money will be spent, and the question is... Can the government, can the federal government, can federal employees actually implement this program? And, you know, one of the real challenges, Tom, is that those who create public policy, like members of Congress, think that the game is done when they when they pass the legislation and the president signs it. That's the beginning for the federal workforce. That's the time when they have to spring into action and implement what Congress has created. And there's going to be a lot on their plates planning should start now. And I guess the other possibility then would be that simply because there are not enough federal employees and not enough internal capacity, this could be a gigantic bonanza for services contractors who would do a lot of the administrative work of the programs consistent with what they can do properly with not being government. Well, I hope not, Tom, because, you know, we pay a lot more when we we hire contractors to carry out governmental work. So again, That's why planning needs to start now. Bob Tobias is a professor in the Key Executive Leadership Program at American University. As always, thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, 
and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's chief of legislative affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from sea to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Um, absolutely. Um, What I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. 
you don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, And I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And and, uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, During my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. A financial plan isn't just about money. 
It's about what matters most to you, like protecting your family, supporting your community, and building a legacy for future generations. At Northwestern Mutual, we start with a conversation about the life you want to live now and years from now. Whether you're paying down debt, saving for college, or planning for retirement, we have an eye on your bigger picture. Get access to our financial expertise at harlem.nm.com. The Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company, headquartered in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.